Welcome to Voices from the Pews, the show that invites you to engage in conversations with Catholics of color and those who are part of communities of non-European origin, so that we can get to know more about each other's faith, experiences, and stories. I'm your host, Lorna DeRose. Do you ever stop and think about how the relationships in your life have helped you become more rooted in your faith? Whether it's the way in which members of your family taught you about God, the church, and how to live out your faith. Or perhaps there was a person who always extended an invitation to you to come to Mass or join in a parish event or activity. That person who saw you and let you know that you were missed when you weren't there last week. Perhaps there is a person who has taken time to speak with you, mentor you, and be an example to you of what it means to live in the world, but not of it. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Paul Albert, a husband, father, who along with his family, served in mission in Haiti, and now he's the director of Missions for Life Team, and he shares how he became a disciple with the heart of a missionary who has a deep desire to help and encourage others to grow in their faith so that they too may become missionary disciples. I hope you enjoy listening. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Lona. It's, it's an honor and it's a blessing. Um, I'm excited about this and this this uh, project and this work of evangelization that you're, that you're taking on. So, praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. So, I wanted to ask if you could share a little bit about yourself with us today. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I'm a Catholic man. I'm a husband. I'm married to the beautiful Anna Albert. I'm a father of four kids, uh, Nathaniel, Therese, Michael, and John. And um, I'm a missionary. Uh, I'm a missionary at heart. And I'm a missionary professionally, I guess, if you we could say that as well. My wife and I started our mission year back in uh, our first mission year in 2011. And then from there, we served in Haiti for six years. Uh, we moved back to the States, where uh, we now serve as the director of missions for Life Team. And it's, it's a beautiful gift and honor, really, to just be able to journey with young adults and be, be in a role where I could uh, lead other young adults who would then journey with other young adults who then journey with teenagers and to be able to set them up for success and help form them and assist them in having an encounter with the Lord so they too could then go out and help others do the same. That's great. That's wonderful and dynamic work in ministry. So, you know, being that you are doing this wonderful work, just want to get a little sense of you're growing up and what was the role of faith as you were growing up in the Boston area? Yes, definitely. So I grew up in a Haitian American household, uh, like real Haitian American household. You walked in my house, you thought you were in Haiti. Uh, we wouldn't <laughs> the know food. The, the food, <laughs> uh, the decor, the, the language, of course, you didn't know the difference until you walked out and you realized, oh wait, I'm in Boston. So grew up in a Haitian household and uh, Blessed be God. My mom was an extremely faithful woman. She was raised Catholic, part of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal uh, up in Boston. And she ensured that we took our faith serious. Like she took us to church 
every Sunday, whether we wanted to go, whether we did not want to go. <laughs> and she was unapologetically Catholic and unafraid to, to share that with us and share, share our faith with us. And I remember a beautiful experience growing up. Um, my mom would be like, all right, time to pray. And we'd gather around her bed on our knees. And really there was two things we prayed for. At this point, my dad was not yet Catholic. So we prayed every night for my dad's conversion, uh, that, that he would become Catholic. And my dad was also a cab driver in Boston at this time. And um, great job, great career, but one that took a lot of hours, right? Uh, he, he worked a lot. And my mom was like, I just want you home more. <laughs> so that, faithfully, every night we prayed for those two things as, for as long as I could remember. Praise the Lord, eventually my dad became Catholic and we can talk about that more later, but eventually my dad became Catholic and my, he actually got a new job as well too. <laughs> unless, unless his Lord heard the prayers. Yes, they did. Yeah. they did. Growing up, very Catholic home, prayer meetings within my house was a regular thing. Bible studies within my house was a regular thing. Small groups, men's and women's groups, all these things were regular things. In fact, I remember coming home with friends at time and there's a prayer meeting going on in my house and praising and worshiping. My friends are like, what is going on? And I'm like, I'll tell you later. Let's just, let's, let's go. <laughs> um, that was my, my upbringing. Very, very faithful home, very Catholic. I'm only serving the church today as, as I am because of my, my upbringing in that. It sounds like your mom was really a, a huge influence on your faith life and your growing in the faith. She definitely was. She definitely was. And uh, it, it still is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Still is. So yeah, praise the Lord for her. And that's amazing too, because you talk about how every night you all faithfully prayed for your dad's conversion and him being able to spend more time with you as a family. And eventually your dad was able to get a new job, but then also have a conversion experience himself and come into the church. Correct. And um, it's beautiful. And today he is an on-fire Catholic. We we joke with him a lot right now. Like, man, you, hey, sometimes we think you're more Catholic than the Pope. Um, and then he's like, it's beautiful. Even, even right now to see him tell my mom, like, Hey, it's time to pray. Um, or Hey, we should read scripture. Hey, let's go pray to Rosary. Hey, let's go to mass. And this is just all these things. It's like, Oh my gosh, what a, he's on fire. For the Lord. He, he's on fire. And it's a complete shift in what it used to be. My dad's conversion has really showed me like the power of God. Cause right. Any son has to be able to admit whether you want to admit it or not. You look up to your dad. You want to please your dad. Uh, you want to impress your dad, even as a almost 35-year-old man right now. Like, there's still a desire to please my dad. So in, in, in doing that, seeing him, like, take this road of faith, it's like, it's even more encouraging to me. I'm like, all right, I'm not in this alone. Like, my wife and kids are doing this. My mom's doing this. My dad's doing this. How beautiful is it to, for to my whole family just to be moving in this same direction, to loving the Lord, and just a desire to evangelize as well. So it's a... It's been even a huge blessing for my own faith journey as well. That is beautiful. And what a witness for you and your whole family. So thinking about, you know, your teen years, your young adult years, going off into school, did that give you a sense of strength as you kind of left to go to school and, you know, meeting the wider world, if you will? (laughs) How did your faith give you that courage or buoyancy that you needed as you were coming into late teenagehood and early young adulthood. Yeah. So again, like I said, right, faithful home. And so as a child, all through middle school, freshman and sophomore year of high school, my junior year, something began to happen. 
my junior year, I began, I think like most teenagers, I began to ask those questions. Very like difficult questions, philosophical questions and things of that nature. At times, those questions when people were able to answer those questions or help me find the answer to those questions and at times they, they weren't able to. So I started questioning everything. I started questioning the church, the authority of the church, scripture, uh, and the Lord himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my junior and senior year. And then I graduated high school. I went to this technical college up in uh, Boston. And then from there, I went to a uh, university in Florida and studying aviation maintenance. And while there, like, right, this is my first time out of the home and in my 20s. And it's like, who freedom? Like, I can do what I want. My yeah. life is mine. Uh, <laughs> no one's going to stop me. And I'm not going to lie, Lauren, I, I fell away from the church. I fell away from the Lord. But one thing remained, and, I, and I, I'm still praying about this today. Though I was living a life of partying and promiscuity and drunkenness and just a life that wasn't pleasing to, to the Lord, I was still going to Mass every Sunday for some reason. Like, and, and at times, literally, I remember there'd be times I'd be coming home from a party and walking into Mass straight from the party, walking, walking into Mass and going to Sunday Mass. Some way, somehow, you still felt that need. It still felt like home, right? And yeah. it's just, and maybe it was Catholic guilt. And if it was, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> so just because, right, every time I went, we had a, a priest who was, he was just amazing. Not only was he an amazing homilist, but he was so good at journeying with people and recognizing the person and being intentional with the person that was in front of him at that moment. So I would go every Sunday and every Sunday I felt known and seen by that priest. So I think that's one of the reasons why I kept going back. And if he didn't see me for a while, or if I went to master off campus somewhere else at another parish, he'd be like, Hey, Paul, I didn't see you this week. Like what, what, what happened? Where were you? And I'm like, man, father, there's like a hundred other students. Like, how did you notice that I wasn't there? Uh, so just felt very seen, known and loved by him. And I think that kept me, that kept me coming back. That same priest, Kept inviting me because at this point I had not yet been confirmed, right? I was baptized. I did my first communion. When it came time to do confirmation up in Boston, I literally remember telling my mom, I'm like, mom, I, I, I think, I think I'm going to wait. And, um, mm. you know, Haitian parents, right? It's like, yeah. my mom was like, you're going to do what? Like, oh my. You, and you survived that. <laughs> and, and, right. And she says this to me. I'm like, ducking behind the counter. I'm, I'm waiting for like a, a sandal or flip-flop to be thrown at me or something. To be thrown at you, yeah. <laughs> and I go, yeah, mom, I, I, I don't think I'm, not now. And she goes, why? And I go, well, mom, to be honest, I've always been told if you are confirmed in the church, you have to start doing things for the church. And I don't feel like doing anything for the church right now. That was your opt-out. <laughs> it was. And, and, and that's really where all this questioning started. Mm-hmm. My mom goes, your sister was confirmed at 17. Your brother was confirmed at 16. Like, you're going to be confirmed. I'm like, Mom, I'm, I really don't want to. And somehow I won that argument. But again, right, all of this is God's grace. Because I wasn't confirmed it, like the Lord then used that later on in my life to then introduce me to this priest who was going to, I think it's safe to say, nag me more than my mom did to be confirmed. <laughs> and uh, he consistently invited and invited and invited me. Maybe nag is not the best word. He invited. And eventually I said yes, because I felt bad for father, to be honest. You um, felt bad for father. I felt bad for father. And I was like, I, I have to do this. You keep inviting me. And, and then uh, I, I, I went to the first session and father began to share uh, and begin to just break open the church and the teachings of the church and the invitation that the Lord has for us and the sacrament of confirmation and the Holy Spirit. And there was a, uh, 
I, I, I felt a rush of the Holy Spirit. I was on the edge of my seat, just like, oh, oh my gosh, man, what, mm-hmm. what have I been missing out on? Um, and Father ended in like an hour, and I was like, Father, no, please, more, more. There's more. Like, you, <laughs> I, you, I want more. I want you, more. <laughs> you, you, you felt that hunger to to know Jesus and to to learn more about the church. I did definitely, yes, and um, yeah, and then he's like, Paul, next week we'll be here next week, and every week, like it was, it be, it became one of the highlights of my week to be able to go to to RCIA to go to confirmation prep, and on the day of my confirmation. Archbishop Witzke, uh, who's now the Archbishop of Miami, he was the Bishop of Orlando at that time, and he was the one that confirmed me. And um, Jess, uh, it, it was literally a personal Pentecost, the day of my confirmation. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember being confirmed, and uh, Archbishop Witzke going, Peter, be sailed, uh, my confirmation name, Peter, be sailed to get, with, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and um, laying his hands on me. And I turned around, and all my party friends have decided that they were going to come to my confirmation with me, not uh-huh. because they had faith or even understood what it was, but to them, it was like, hey, this is a celebration. A celebration. There's going to be a party. So right. this, this is a reason to go party and go to the bars and drink. Right. And uh, I literally remember turning around and looking at the pew. Well, the, this whole pew was all my friends who I was going to go party with later and going, something is going to drastically change. Something has to drastically change. And slowly but surely, right? And I'm I, I, I kind of, in some ways, I hit rock bottom. I began to lose friends and people didn't want to hang out with me. And I, and I felt very alone because right, I was having this experience uh, with the Lord that very few people in my life at that time understood. And, and I wasn't able to articulate it. And when I tried, people just thought I was crazy or hyper-religious or like, yeah, man, you can do your Jesus thing and your, and your clubbing thing at the same time. Like, that's okay. You can still party and uh, get drunk and just repent and go to mass on Sunday and you'll be good. Right. Just go to confession and that, you know, then start all over. Correct. Correct. Right. So, so it was just this battle between uh, this beautiful invitation that the Lord had for me and invitation that the world had for me as well. And, and, and just the discerning going, all right, Lord, how do I, how do I navigate this? Eventually, that conversion, that experience brought me back to Boston to where I actually for a while moved in with one of my uncles who was very faithful and also practiced in his faith and um, really took me under his wing for about a year and discipled me and journeyed with me and uh, really helped me to just understand how, how as a Christian, how do you live in the world, but not of the world? And he really was able to open that door for me and help me to understand how to do that. Sorry, I just talked a whole bunch. Oh, that, no, that's okay. Because I think that's a beautiful part of your witness is how that one-on-one discipleship can lead someone home. I mean, your mom in your early years and that priest while you were away at school, just constantly, patiently giving you the invitation. And then, of course, your uncle just being a a personal example, just taking you under his wing and guiding you. I think those are all important parts of discipleship and, you know, drawing close to Jesus. I, I, I think that's all an important part of your story. Yes, yes. And that's just beautiful how your uncle just patiently walked with you as you were learning again how to be faithful with Christ and learning again how to be on the journey Amen. of faith. Yeah. Yes. So... As you've come back to Boston, now my inquiring mind wants to know, how did you meet Anna? <laughs> so uh, this is funny. I actually met Anna my sophomore year in high school, unofficially met Anna. We had moved out of the city of Boston and into the suburb of Boston. And uh, the parish that we were going to had a thriving life team program at that time. And it was just, they were doing a real great job. 
but I never went to youth group. I went to mass because mass was amazing. The music was dynamic. The priest was amazing. Again, another amazing homilist. So I kept going to mass there. But I was part of a youth group in uh, Dorchester at that time, at uh, St. Matthew's Parish at that time. And um, I remember telling my parents, like, hey, I know we're moving out of Boston, but I really want to keep going to my youth group. Like, can I please? That's, that's where my friends are. This is the church. I was, I was raised with these people. Like, I, and my parents were like, sure, we'll drive the 35 minutes every weekend, every Saturday, just to bring in the youth group. And, um, and, and, and they did. And I remember going to Mass there and the youth minister, again, the Lord says very persistent people on my way often. <laughs> the youth minister every Sunday would invite me, Paul, we would love to have your youth group. Paul, we would love to have your youth group. And I was part of that youth group. And again, right, the roles at Mass, at this parish, at this Life Team Parish, the teens played a lot of the roles. So they were the lectors, they were Eucharistic ministers, they took up the collection, and often took up the collection. And Lord, I, I remember those Sundays that Anna would take up the collection. If I had like $5 in my pocket, I'd be like, Dad, can I borrow 20 just to, just, <laughs> just to kind of show off and be like, be like, hey, girl, look at me. I'm putting $20 in the basket. Um, <laughs> so like, this is 60 years old. I, I, I noticed Anna and I thought she was, I was like, man, this girl is, she, she's gorgeous. And, um, <laughs> and, and I was like, try to show off and all that. But never <laughs> had the courage to say a word to her. And then, and then I went off to college. She went off to college. And then I came back. And when I came back, that same youth minister again, uh, her name was Linda Payne. She now uh, invited me, Paul, we would really love to have you on core. And eventually I said, yes. And I joined, this is crazy. I, like the weekend I joined core, that weekend, Anna moved on and left the core team. The parish I was connected to her campus ministry uh, at school was opening a life team program and they wanted her to, and one of my friends, Father Kevin, actually leave her. Who's now oh, pre- yes. They wanted mm-hmm. her and Father Kevin to help start that youth group and help lead that youth group. So she went there and started helping with that life team program. And instead, like literally the week I came in, that week she was transitioning out. So I didn't even get to serve on core with her, which was so sad. Uh, <laughs> but the earthquake in Haiti happened. Mm-hmm. And Anna was doing a fundraiser for that earthquake. And I had been introduced to the parish. Uh, they said who I was. I'm a new core member. My family's from Haiti. I'm Haitian American and all that. So Anna contacted me actually through Facebook. It was like, hey, I'm so happy you're on core. I've been seeing you for years at church. And I was like, oh, what? You noticed me? Okay, then. Uh, okay. <laughs> those, those $20 in the basket <laughs> made a difference, huh? <laughs> like, I've been seeing you for years at church. And I've always wondered why you weren't involved. Like, I'm so excited that you're on core. But I just I wanted to let you know that I'm doing a fundraiser for the earthquake in Haiti. And I know your family's Haitian. I was wondering if you'd cook a dish to bring to this fundraiser because we want to feed people authentic Haitian food. I was like, I was like, definitely. And I, I learned, I don't at this point, I couldn't boil the water, right? Uh, so, so I go home and I'm like, mom, you really need to help me out. Like we need to make some rice and beans to bring to this fundraiser. <laughs> My family took care of it. They made it, I bought it to the fundraiser. And um, unfortunately, or fortunately, right? All God's timing. Right. A priest who was very involved with our youth ministry at that time at this fashion uh, and still in the passed away. So our teens were really shaken up. Sure. So we were gathering with them in our life house, our youth ministry um, room at the, at the parish, just to help them process and debrief and go through this grieving time. But that happened to be the same day as the fundraiser. So I show up with the rice and beans. And I'm like, here, here's the food. This is amazing that you're doing this. Wow. There's a lot of people here. This is so cool, but sorry, I have to run. Like we, we were gathering our teens at the parish because Father Henry just passed away and we need, we need to uh, debrief with them and like help them process through this. She says, okay, thank you so much. Bye. And as I'm walking away, she tells the story 
a lot better than I do. But as, as I'm walking away, her mom goes, who's that? And Anna's response, she says, the man I'm going to marry, Rona, we had barely spoken at this time. And I go home to my mom and I'm like, mom, I just met, like the word I used, it was in Creole, was tutuela, which is dove. I'm like, mom, I just met this little dove. This girl is, I'm like, mom, this girl's amazing. I'm going to marry this girl, which again is crazy because we had barely spoke. And my mom was like, who's this woman? <laughs> like, what? Who's this woman that my son's interested <laughs> in? I want to know her. Like, like where's, where's this coming from? Like, yeah, mom, she goes to the church. Mom was like, oh, she's Catholic? Good. Okay, good. That's a good start. Okay. <laughs> and then Anna's mom was like, who's this guy that I've never met? And then the Lord just moved that real fast. We started dating like literally a couple weeks later. And then we dated for a year and a month. I proposed. We planned our wedding for two years out. Uh, the Lord then took us on a mission trip to Haiti in which we both individually in separate times of prayer, two different floors apart from each other, we were both in a time of prayer. It felt the Lord say that he wants us to serve him and his people in Haiti. From there, we were like, all right, the Lord obviously wants us to serve in Haiti. So we actually planned out, we got back to Boston. We planned our wedding in four months. <laughs> we got married and we moved to uh, Northeast Georgia and started our formation year with Life Team there as, as a newly married couple. Did that for a year of, tra- year of training and formation with Life Team and then went off to Haiti for six. So yeah. That is amazing how the Lord just led the both of you at, you know, in separate ways mm. toward becoming missionaries. Amen. Wow. Amen. And what a beautiful story. I love the fact that as you're walking away, she's thinking, that's the bit I'm going to bury. <laughs> yes, yes. So just thinking about your six years in Haiti, I saw some of that, both of you posting on Facebook, and I was truly impressed by the love that you showed and some of the people, how, you know, some of the short stories you shared about how you built relationship and they came to Christ. Mm. Can you share one thing that you and Anna as well, just were absolutely moved as you saw someone or, or a group of people just coming to Christ Yes, um, during life team in Haiti? Yes, definitely. Right. JP two says this, <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King also said this, mm-hmm. right? Like the need for family within society, right? As family goes, so goes society. And the family in Haiti and in America, but in Haiti in a very different way is broken. And I would say where I saw the Lord present the most in Haiti was how when you ministered to a young person, when you ministered to a teenager, how they were then set ablaze. And that teenager often was able to go and transform a whole family. We have teens who we ministered to who were in families where mom and dad were really just playing house, right? They grew up in a household where, yes, mom and dad were present, but they were never married. Dad also had other women on the side. And then these teens, as you're teaching them of the love of the Lord, and as you're teaching them about, as you give, as you're just breaking open with them church teaching, they're beginning to realize, wait, my, my life in the home isn't normal. Something's missing. They go back and they share this with mom and dad. And mom and dad starts asking questions and coming. It would come to our mission base and we'd go to them on home visits and they would begin asking those questions. And uh, several of those stories, Lorna, would end with dad saying, you know what? I am done with these women that I have on the side. I am committed to one woman. I'm committed to the mother of my child. And in fact, I want to go to father 
and make this official. And after 20 years and 30 years of just playing house, I want to get married in the church and Amen. make this and make this official and, and, be, and be okay with the Lord. Um, I, I think of one man, his name is Lucien. And he and I sat down and prayed one day. I'm like, it was during the season of Easter. And he, he's like, I can't go to mass. I have to work, uh, all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, we're going to do an act of faith, uh, Lucien. How about we, throughout the whole season of Easter, you commit to going to mass every Sunday. And we're going to ask the Lord to provide for your family and that he would continue to put food on your table, either equivalent to what you're getting now or bless you even more. Like that, that's the act of faith we're going to, we're going to do. And Lucia was like, all right, let's give it a shot. And Lona, that dad went home and I prayed. <laughs> I prayed like I never prayed before. Right. I was like, Lord, you got to provide for this man, please. Right. <laughs> and um, I prayed and uh, this was what, four years ago. And uh, last February, I was, I was in Haiti. I got to see Lucian and I was talking to him and he came up, I went to mass and he came up to me at mass. He goes, Paul, I'm still coming every Sunday. I have not missed a Sunday. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Um, and that happened because his team was coming to our youth group, right? It, start, it started with his daughter going back and sharing with him what she was experiencing at youth and group. The and the child should lead them. Yes. Those are some absolutely beautiful witnesses. And of course, you have four beautiful children that were born as you were ministering and as missionaries in Haiti as well. Mm, yes. So they too have seen a lot and have been a part of your, your missionary work in their own particular way too, I'm sure. Definitely. They have. They have. Yes. Uh, I think it's one of the best ways to, to raise our kids. We had a tradition in Haiti, whenever we'd walk by the chapel, uh, and walk by the chapel door. You either we either genuflect or or bless ourselves. We do something to to reverence the blessed sacrament in the in the chapel. And I remember one day walking in front of the chapel and holding Nathaniel, my oldest son's hand, and he got down on his knees and genuflect. Two years old at this time, and I, I literally remember thinking to myself, maybe not even two yet actually, because he was just walking. And I'm like, wait, I never touched that, but he. He saw me do it every day. Right. He saw his mother do it every day. He saw a community of 12 missionaries and priests and a religious doing this every day. It just became the norm for him. And I think that's what's beautiful about our faith, right? When our faith just becomes a normal part of our life, right? JP2 says in the mission, in the mission of the Redeemer, like what the apostles were doing in the Acts of the Apostles is the normal outcome of Christian living. It just, it became so normal to my kids. God was attainable. God was, God was real. They could reach God. It made sense to them. Even as children, like it just, like, no, we, we pray. No, that's Jesus. It's such a gift to be able to raise my children, to still be raising them in, in a mission community and uh, to have this mission experience as well. What a blessing. That's wonderful. So, you know, as I'm thinking about you as a missionary family and We've had quite an extraordinary year, truly. And as a family and being faith-filled Catholics, witnessing your faith, how has your faith helped you through these very difficult times that we've been seeing? It's been rough, Lorna. It's been ups and downs, right? I think coronavirus was crazy. The racial tension in our, in our, in our world and in our country is crazy. And what's just what's going on in politics? The division, the the it's 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 been insane. But in all of this, the Lord continues to remain faithful. And I think what what happened when whenever I would get into my own head or find myself 
watching the news and seeing what people are saying on social media and watching this video and that video and reading this person's opinion on, on, on race, on coronavirus, political arguments. Whenever I was doing that more and praying less, I found myself in a real bad place. And I found myself worrying and stressing and really in times of like, almost like this entering this, this, this darkness. And right there, I went through this whole year, I went through different phases of like, you know, I'm, I'm off of social media for a while. This is crazy. I'm done watching the news for a while. This is crazy. Uh, and really what it boiled down to is it's, 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 it's okay to watch the news. <laughs> it's okay to be on social media. But if I, if, I am, if I am posting more than I am praying, if I am watching the news more than I'm diving into the good news, if I am talking and, and just giving my opinion more than I'm allowing the teachings of the church to form me and to form my heart, I'm going to go into a rabbit hole and it's, it's not going to be good. So really, it's just uh, my faith has kept me rooted. My faith has given me hope and realizing like, okay, this is hard. This is not forever. Things will get better. Um, and even as you read through scripture, right, the Nobody went through more pain and suffering than the Israelites and the Hebrew people, right? And the Lord brought them out of it time and time and time again. They were in the desert. They were exiled. Their temple was destroyed. Leprosy was a thing. They went through disease and pandemics. And time and time and time again, the Lord brought them out of it. And the reality is, if he did it then, he can do it again. He healed then, he will heal now. He, there was division then, he will bring his people back together again. And I believe that, and I know that, and I don't doubt that for a second. Yeah. As you're saying that, I just remember at whatever point during the summer, just praying and just thinking about the passion of Christ, because as he was dying for our sins, it wasn't for then, but it was for now and as well as in the future. And that passion, that suffering is for us today as well. And just kind of praying about the Lord and asking him just to help me, because I know at at, at times I too was going through those moments of, oh, wait, what am I, what are my priorities here? You know, stop doom scrolling. But once I just, you know, as you started doing, just paying attention to the movement of my day and my time and who was I spending it? What was I spending it doing? That really made a difference for me as well. So, you know, I I really appreciate what you're saying because it's true. We have to remember that the Lord is in all of the that's that's happening. He is not away from it. He's not far away from us. He is near us. Amen. And we have to reach out to him. Mm, Amen. Blessed be God. (laughs) So Paul, I really want to thank you so much for this interview. And I really appreciate your taking the time. Before we end the interview, is there one last word that you'd like our listeners to come away with today? Yes, definitely. God is good. Do not lose hope. Remain in prayer. Pray without ceasing. St. Paul invites us to pray without ceasing. And stay rooted in the word of God. Stay rooted in the teachings of his church. And everything in this crazy time that we live in like look at everything through the lens of of, of jesus christ through the lens of the church 
uh, and discern all things in and through and within the, t- the teachings of the, of, the, of the church as well. Stay rooted, stay rooted, because we live in a crazy time where any gust of wind, there's a huge shift in what everyone's thinking and in the direction that everyone's moving in. But what we need is Christians and Catholics who are rooted um, in that when the winds come, they, they stay grounded um, and they know what truth is. Uh, they know who truth is, and, and, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Paul, thanks again. And I really appreciate you being with us today. And I'm just so happy that you were able to share your story with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lana. God bless. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's conversation about Paul Albert's journey of faith and how he has become rooted in God's word, rooted in the teachings of the church, and rooted in prayer as he lives out his faith in mission, as a husband, a father, and as a missionary. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Pews. Produced by Lorna DeRose. Audio editing and post-production by Bryn Lee. Music composed and performed by André Lui. Social media presence boosted by Jacqueline Brunache. May God bless and keep you until next time.